Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. No. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, how's it going today? Uh, not too bad. Uh, England are doing okay in the World Cup, so it's uh, it's very nice. It's red hot here as well. I believe it's red hot in your parts of the world. It is indeed. Now, you know, though, by the time people hear this, England could either yes. be champions be or Cup, be yeah. out of it. So people are going to hear this next week, and then they're going to go, oh, England, oh. That, yes. You know. Oh, well, that's very true. But at the time of recording, it's uh, England have just beaten Colombia right. in the next stage of the World Cup. Right. So we're going to go with the, the mindset that they're going to win it. And then when people hear this next week, they're going to go, oh, Phil, you don't even know what's in store. It's going to get yes, better. That's it. That's, that's it. That's how we're going. We're capturing a little moment in time. That's right. Of excitement. Uh, but also, the weather's lovely here, which is a nice ch- change of pace. Yep. Uh, and it's very good. I've also been sent a few uh, l- lovely things. Good. Do tell. To do with the world of film. Yes, got sent, first of all, from. Uh, Chronicle Books. It's the Art of Incredibles Two. It's a lovely Ooh, hardback book. Nice. Loads of concept art, loads of lovely imagery. You've probably seen some of these books before. They're they're really good. I haven't had that big a look through it because at the moment in England we haven't got Incredibles Two because of the World Cup. It's been pushed back. Right, right. You don't have spoilers. So I, I don't want too many spoilers, but I look through the first few pages and it's gorgeous. Uh, then Eagle Moss. Uh, they do loads uh, of mo- movie, uh, great uh, stuff, comic book figures and things like that and watches. They've sent me a life size Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy. Two, what? Which is very nice. You get all the you get all the good stuff. A uh, limited edition uh, out of a thousand, and this is number three oh five, and it's pretty good actually. It's uh, it's a uh, good quality. Standing here looking. at I me assume now. because it's life size, it's not adult Groot. It's like the baby. Or the no, no, it's, it's Guardian of the Galaxy Two, the one <laughs> from the start. As he's he's so awesome. No, like no. here's a delivery. It's a life size Groot, yeah. and you, there's like a twelve foot tree yeah. like it's on a tree. your front it's porch. An tree. They're like, where would you like <laughs> us to put it? <laughs> You're like, uh. Backyard, maybe? That would be crazy. Uh, and, uh, great. Yeah, yeah, where do we put this? Right. I am Groot. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. You know, these collectibles are getting more and more outlandish all the time. It's only a matter of time before somebody does a full-on life-size Groot. Yeah, somebody must have done a grow-your-own-Groot. Yeah, yeah. But if not, let's get in touch with the garden centre. Let's <laughs> right. get, get something going. Yeah. Uh, and the final thing I got sent, it was a book. It's a novel. Uh, I've not really seen it before, but it's from some uh, arcane publishing, it says, and it's called The Breathing Tunnel. By an author called Sutter Kane. Mm. Yeah, which uh, looks, I think it's a bit of a horror thing, but I've not read it. It looks quite interesting. So I might uh, I might give that a read uh, just before I go to sleep this <laughs> evening after we finish recording. As good of an idea as that sounds like, Phil, mm. I'm going to give you a little advice and say maybe don't pick that particular book up. Oh, have you read some of Sutter Kane? Y- yeah, Sutter I've, Kane? I've got a little, I'm a little familiar with them, and I, I'm going to say that I think maybe this is one you should pass on. Oh, okay. Oh, that's a shame. It's got a good. Interesting cover. Yeah, it looks yeah, like I'm sure. Map or something. I'm yeah. sure it does. <laughs> okay, well, I'll take that on the. I'll, I'll go with your opinion then, Mike. I'll stick. Yeah, with it. yeah. Just take my word for okay, it. Okay, okay. You do that. <laughs> well, on that note, I think it's time then to introduce our movies, Phil, shall we? And maybe tell people a little bit about Sutter Kane, perhaps. Yes, we're going to be doing. We're going to be going after the ending of King Kong, and as we mentioned in the last episode, we're going to be looking. It's basically the main King Kong films all deal with the basic same story. So take your pick. 
we're going after the ending of yeah all of them yeah uh, our individual endings may you know depend upon the time thing but uh, they're all sort of similar the films uh, and also going after the ending of John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness hence the Sutter Kane thing there you go and also be doing our favourite top 10 films of 1971 Indeed. It's a jam-packed episode. Yes, lots to do, lots to do. Well, let's get into it then, shall we? And let's dive further into this world of Sutter Kane and let people learn a little bit about why maybe they shouldn't read his books. Yes, got to imagine. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, so it's John Carpenter. He directed it. It stars Sam Neill, Jürgen Proshnow, Julie Carmen, and a whole heap of weirdness and strangeness. Uh, but we follow... But we find out that uh, Sutter Kane, who's a horror writer, I think like Stephen King, H.P. Lovecraft, he's gone missing. So an insurance investigator by the name of John Trent, played by Sam Neill, is approached by uh, Arcane Publishing and Kane's publisher, a man called Jackson Harglow, played by Charlton Heston. He wants Trent to find Kane and get hold of his latest manuscript. But as we said, he's disappeared. Uh, Trent reads some of Kane's novels and starts having nightmares while reports of violence uh, are on the increase. And we, we learn that people who read the books get violent and get a bit insane and that their eyes change. They get black eyes with, uh, or just weird weird black pupils. It's very, very kind of weird and kind of freaky. Trent ends up travelling to Hob, Hobbs End, which it was thought to just be a fictitious town in Sutter Kane's books, but it turns out it's real. Uh, and he travels there with Linda Stiles, played by Julie Carmen, who's uh, Sutter Kane's editor. And when they get there, things get weirder and creepier. Until eventually, Trent meets Sutter Kane. Kane ends up explaining that the public's belief in his stories feeds an ancient race of monstrous beings who will take over the, the earth or reclaim what was once theirs. And Kane reveals that Trent is merely one of his characters who must follow his plot and return the manuscript of In the Mouth of Madness back to Arcane Publishing. Trent ends up escaping Hobbs End and destroys the manuscript. He returns to uh, Arcane Publishing and talks to Jackson Harglow. And Trent explains what happened and how he destroyed the book. Jackson looks a bit confused and says the manuscript was returned months before and in the month of madness has been published and on sale for weeks and is doing rather well. In fact, so well it's being turned to a film. Eventually, Trent is arrested for killing someone who was reading the novel and we see Trent is in an asylum talking to uh, Dr. Wren, played by David Warner, and telling him his story, but his doctor says it's just all hallucinations, couldn't possibly be real. Trent sleeps and the next morning he wakes up to find his door open and the asylum is abandoned and in ruins. And as he wanders into the city, he hears news reports saying the world has been overrun by monsters, including mutating humans. Suicide and mass murder is on the rise. And Trent sees a cinema that's showing in the mouth of madness. He goes in, sits down and watches himself go through the film that we've just watched. And he laughs hysterically before breaking down and crying, which brings us to the end of In the Mouth of Madness. Very nicely done. That is a dense plot to try and... Yeah, there's lots, go, lots of missed out, but that's... That's the basics. Very good. Thank you very much. Uh, but that's what happens in the film. What do you have? Well, I must admit, when I started writing my endings, I was going, how the hell did you follow that? Right. Uh, but uh, what have you got for your day after? Well, Sam Neill closes the manuscript and pushes it aside. He looks at the title page, In the Mouth of Madness by Michael DeLuca. John Carpenter is attached to direct, and Sam had enjoyed some of his early films, such as Halloween and The Fog. But the film was darker than he was used to, and he had been looking for a project that he could bring his family to the set of. This film certainly wasn't that. Still, there's something about the story that keeps drawing him back to it. He feels connected to the character of Trent, who seems alive somehow. As he sips his coffee, he catches a glimpse of another patron at the cafe staring at him. Well, he was used to it. After all, Jurassic Park had made him a household name. But as he looked at the man, he noticed the strangest thing. His eyes were pitch black. And that's where I'm going to leave it for now. Ooh. 
Very interesting. Thank you, thank you. Little fourth wall meta kind of thing going on. That was a great, great. I wonder what's going to happen there. Well, we'll find out. I think in a way, the Renans might be a little bit similar, but maybe coming at it a different way. Okay. Well, that happens we'll sometimes. Let's uh, yeah, yeah. let's hear what you got, and we'll see how similar they get. Okay. Trent just sat in the cinema for hours. The film played on a loop. Eventually, he ended up leaving and wandered the streets of the deserted city. While he passed a number of dead bodies before, they'd all disappeared. In the distance, he could see what appeared to be a large tower, taller than any skyscraper. It took him a moment for his perception to work it out, but he realised it was a monstrous being, its form constantly shifting, and a cloud of a strange coloured smoke seemed to emanate from the form. Trent sat in the road. He had no idea what to do, and wondered why he was not totally insane. A thought struck him. If he was a fictitious character, then could that mean that none of this was real? Was it just a book or a film? A nearby radio split into life. Trent half listened as an Englishman and an American began talking about films. <laughs> That's the day after. Uh, very cool. I, I like it a lot. And also, I like the fact that you've gotten us to the point where, hey, we're on the radio. So that's good. Yeah. yeah that's a plus. Yeah. So there's a little yeah. positive in, in the midst of the world ending. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you've got to pick the positives. Yeah, and, you know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Cthulhu's back, but, you know, things aren't that bad. <laughs> right, right. But, hey, we made it to the radio, so. <laughs> yeah. You know. Okay, what's going on then with your immediate aftermath? All right, well, the shoot for In the Mouth of Madness had gone well. Sam Neill had decided to take the role, and the filming had been a rewarding experience. There were a few minor hiccups during filming, such as a crew member who died in an unfortunate accident, but overall, Sam was glad he had done the film. He just wished the constant nightmares would go away. They'd started on the first day of shooting, occasional at first, but then more and more frequent. Now he finds himself having a nightmare almost every single night. Still, he has an appointment with the doctor next week, and now that the rigors of a shooting schedule are behind him, he expects them to subside. And then there's the hallucinations. He keeps seeing people with pitch-black eyes, just like in the script. He assumes it's just the toll of 18-hour days, but he makes a note to ask the doctor about that as well. And that's where we're going to leave it for now. Ooh, okay. Mm. Mm, doesn't sound too good for Sam Neill. No, it doesn't. No. But you never know. Shame I, shame I did like him. I did too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I hope nothing happens. Uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. All right. So go ahead and give us then your immediate aftermath. Trump wandered around the post-apocalyptic world. He had seen hideous creatures, manic humans, and much, much worse. Yet he remained untouched. He could only think that Sutter Kane had forgotten or just not written a proper ending for him. The podcaster reading this did not realise he was now talking about himself. <laughs> the words coming out of his mouth were not his own. The shadows in the room grew thicker and seemed to move behind him, but he didn't see it. But then strange words were placed in his head and he felt the urge to say them. Fenglui Magluanthra Cthulhu Rilia Waganagal Vatangln. Those listening felt a moment of strangeness as they heard those alien words and then wondered if the new book by Sutter Kane had been released. The podcaster went back to what he'd written. Trent listened to the radio that was again playing the same show he'd heard before. He had learnt it was something called a podcast and that it was being broadcast from someplace else, some alternate earth. <laughs> it seemed Sutter Kane's work was slowly infecting other dimensions. Ooh. Well, got a bit of a headache after that one. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, uh, that's what I've got so far. I like it. Thank you. I like, I like, I mean, not that there's any similarity to anything happening in the real world there, but I do like the sort of, you know, the, the meta approach you took as well. What meta approach? <laughs> anyway. I thought I'd written more, actually, for that one. That's weird. I'm looking at like a big section on my page that's blank. Mm, yeah, weird how that happens, isn't it? Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, anyway, what's going on with your long term, the people with the black eyes? All right. Well, Laura Dern ignores the television in the background. Why my husband insists on watching Access Hollywood is beyond me, she thinks. But then the anchor catches her attention. 
In breaking news, we've just learned that actor Sam Neill has been committed to a psychiatric hospital for observation after the Jurassic Park star suffered from a psychotic break. Details are still coming in, but apparently Mr. Neal attacked a fan who asked him for an autograph on the street. We'll keep you posted on the details as they come in. Laura rushes for the telephone to call her agent to find out more, when the TV suddenly turns to static. She barely notices as she frantically dials, but then the TV comes back on, and it's accompanied by a high-pitched alert sound. This is the emergency broadcast system. This is not a drill. Authorities are reporting an outbreak of murders and suicides, as well as hallucinations, in several counties of California. It is unknown yet if this violence is limited to the surrounding areas or not, but authorities are instructing all citizens to remain inside their homes until further notice. We repeat, this is the emergency broadcast system. This is not a drill. And that's the end. Oh, my God. It's all true. See that? So he wrote it in yeah. a script, but then because because the script got read, it, it bled yeah. into the real world. Oh, no, that's how Laura Dern ended up doing Inland Empire for David Lynch. <laughs> That's probably the most believable reason for why she did that <laughs> film. So I'll take it. Oh, brilliant. Oh, I like it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, well, I want to hear about uh, your your world and if any, you know, familiar podcasters might show up again. So give us your long term. Okay, my long term. During his travels through the hell on earth, Trent had discovered various rituals and arcane artifacts. Experimenting with them, he discovered he could travel to alternate earths and other dimensions. He could possibly stop Sutter Kane and the Great Old Ones from infecting the multiverse. However, he found that when he did travel like this, it was his mind moving to alternate versions of himself, and it took different amounts of time to realise who he really was. He had already jumped through a number of Earths. Some he'd been successful, some he hadn't. In some, he'd witnessed dinosaurs. Another, he'd been in a plane in front of Norse gods. <laughs> he'd been stuck on a Russian submarine for a while. Another saw him in love with a mute pianist. One saw him on the run with a teenager through the New Zealand wilderness. Another had him chasing down an invisible man. While one of the worst had him on a spacecraft full of horrors. <laughs> there, were, there were many more. He'd lost count of the worlds. Now he stood in a dark hallway. This could well be the key to the whole multiverse. The door in front of him had a sign stuck to it that said, On air. On the other side, he could hear the Englishman from the podcast he'd been listening to begin to talk. He listened as the person on the other side of the door spoke to his American colleague and how they were going to talk about in the mouth of madness. This was it, thought Trent. Time to end this. The large knife in his hand felt heavy as he quietly opened the door. He knew what he had to do. What was that? So that's uh, that was my ending. All right. I like it. Very Thanks fun. Thank you very much. Very yeah. fun. Indeed. So we both kind of took a meta approach, but in different ways. Yeah, yeah. So and cool. I, really don't, I really don't want to turn around. I know. <laughs> I was thinking that as you are reading that. I was like, hmm, are you creeped out now? Did you creep yourself out? Yeah, I did actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Very cool. All right. Well, Phil, I think it's time for us to journey into the mouth of trivia. So what have you got for us? <sighs> That's madness, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the uh, the car keys that Julie Carmen swallows in the film were actually made out of pasta. Uh, Hobbs End, which was the town in the film, was also the name of the underground station in 1967's excellent film Quatermass in the Pit. Mm. But in the mouth of madness was Hayden Christensen's Feature film debut, he was the kid on the bike. Oh, that's cool. For those of you who recognize the name but aren't sure, he was Anakin Skywalker in the Star Wars prequels. Uh, the monsters at the end of the film were a mix of mixture of men in suits, animatronics, and a full-sized wall of creatures, and it took over 30 people to operate it. And you see it for like, God, what is it, like 10 seconds, and most of it's in a blur anyway. Right. Uh, and Sutter Kane says, did I ever tell you my favorite color is blue in the film? And it turns out apparently that whenever an actor has a close-up, their eyes are blue. Oh, wow. To show his effect on fiction. Right, right. And that's In the Mouth of Madness. Very cool. 
All right. Yeah, we didn't talk about if we like this film or not. Phil, do you like this film? I think I know the yeah, answer. I, I really enjoy this film. Yeah, I like it. I've always I'm I like John Carpenter. I like H.P. Lovecraft stories, the whole Cthulhu mythos, and I just thought this was an excellent one. And it surprised me when I first saw it because I didn't know which way it was going to go. Right. And it was uh yeah, I really enjoy it. I've seen it sort of again a couple of years ago, and it still pretty much holds up. I mean, a couple of dodgy little effects and things, but even that sort of it's, it all works into it. And Sam Neill's phenomenal, and he does a great job of going insane. The bit on the bus when he just suddenly screams is amazing. Right, but, right. Uh, loads, loads of good bits. What yeah. about you? Oh, yeah, I like it quite a bit. I mean, as, as we've discussed in the past, you know, I'm also a big John Carpenter fan, and um, I like this one a lot. It's one of his... Um, I don't want to say his lesser films, one of his lesser seen films, I would say. It's more of a cult classic. Um, I've never been big into the whole Lovecraft stuff, and the things that go that sort of Lovecraft direction aren't usually my favorites, but this is a cool one. I I like the concept of the whole, you know, it's got a whole meta thing about the the fiction and, you know, being a character and and everything. Um, So I I like it quite a bit. It's a fun film. Yeah, I like the fact with the the whole Cthulhu mythos, it's all about how it's, you can't win. It's just this, this incredible ancient beings or this these things which you just don't really care about in the slightest right and most of the things end up just having as some kind of monster which the person's got to kill but this one i think it captures it well where it's just there's this stuff going on and you've got no control over it and it's just gonna be it just it's just it's just this amorphous thing which just attacks our minds because we can't comprehend it right right exactly but it's i think it does a good job of capturing that indeed it does All right. Well, that is In the Mouth of Madness. Time for us then to move on to the biggest of the big, King Kong. Yes. Yes. One of the biggest monster films of all time, probably. Indeed. In in more ways than one. Yes. Yes. Uh, Do you want to run us through the events of King Kong? Yes. Well, like I said, I'm going to keep this fairly simple, but keep in mind, there's three major versions of King Kong. The 1933 original, which is the classic, one of the best movies of all time. Uh, The 1976 version, which stars Jeff Bridges and Faye Dunaway, which is not one of the best movies of all time. And the 2005 version by Peter Jackson with Naomi Watts and Adrian Brody and Jack Black. Now, the 33 and the 2005 versions actually have all the same character names and everything. They changed them for the 76 version, but the story is pretty much the same. So whether you've seen all of them or you've seen only one or two of them, pick your favorite and you can picture those actors and characters and with that version of King Kong in your head as I go through this because they're all pretty much going to fit. So. Yeah, I uh, just about the the one from the the nineteen seventy nineteen seventy six was it? Yeah, yeah, the nineteen seventy six film. Uh, yeah, it is lousy, but I always feel the first like twenty minutes before you actually when just just as they land on the island, I quite like it. Yeah, and then it just sort of goes. Pfft. I mean, the thing is, I think I just talked about this a few weeks ago when we did 1976. Uh, I like this movie in that I I have a soft spot for it. It it was the first exposure I had to King Kong, the 76 version. So I'm always going to have a nostalgic soft spot for it. I recognize its limitations now, uh, but I I still enjoy it. It's not it's not a terrible movie. It's just, you know, the 33 version is really the classic. and And I love that movie. and I think it really holds up well. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's Peter Jackson's version, which is good, but it's three hours long. And boy, that first hour. Is, yeah, is it, it, doesn't, it doesn't need to be that long, does it? it? It doesn't. It's just he built up so much stuff that was unnecessary. I think that that film would have been a a, a much bigger hit and much more well-loved film had he gotten to the action a little bit sooner and just trimmed out a good 30, 40 minutes from that opening. Yeah, it would have probably worked better as a miniseries. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah, but if you're going to do it like that, do it as a miniseries. Exactly. Yeah. So here we go. King Kong, you pick your version. And the story goes like this. Filmmaker Carl Denham hires actress Anne Darrow to journey on a ship to a mysterious place called Skull Island for the adventure of a lifetime. 
on the way and develops a relationship with first mate Jack Driscoll. When they get to the island, they discover a world of giant creatures such as dinosaurs, and they discover King Kong, a giant gorilla who takes a liking to Anne. They capture Kong, bring him back to New York to put him on display and make tons of money, but he escapes, grabs Anne, and climbs to the top of a very tall building. Pick yours. He's attacked by planes and eventually shot down, falling to his death on the streets of New York. And the film ends with the immortal line, Oh no, it wasn't the airplanes. It was Beauty Killed the Beast. Yeah, cracking. And that's King Kong. Mm, brilliant. Well, nicely done. Thank you. I think we could, you know, I think everyone pretty much knows the story of King Kong. Didn't think I had to go into too many details. You know, giant yeah, monkey. Yeah. I mean, pretty much you know what you need to know. Yeah, very good. I thank, like it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, Phil, why don't you go ahead and give us your day after? Okay. Well, mine sort of follows. It's basically uh, still on the 1933 one because it's set back then. That works. Okay. So the body of Kong is cordoned off and laid for almost a day before various vehicles were brought in to move the monstrous corpse to a large barge on the Hudson. The press had a field day with the whole thing. A giant ape fighting planes on top of the Empire State Building, and then Carl Denham's Beauty Kill the Beast line gave them lots to work with. Carl Denham was arrested for the whole thing, but being a consummate showman, he knew that it would be great publicity. Jack Comfortan, who'd been traumatized by the whole experience. Uh, the mayor of New York called in a specialist to look over the body of Kong. My team and I are happy to help, Doc Savage told the mayor. <laughs> Meanwhile, on Skull Island, the absence of Kong has been noticed, and things begin to stir. Hmm. Ominous. It's my day after. I like it. Thank you. Very cool. Okay, then. So that's uh, what's going on with your day after. All right. Well, I'm going to say this, and this is all I'm going to say about the time period. My ending disavows Kong Skull Island. Uh, not because it's not an excellent film, because it is. It just disavows that. Okay. Here we go. The Harkalon scientist swore under his breath. Another failure. The first Kong model had fallen to primitive Earth airplanes, but admittedly, that was an earlier proto-species that wasn't fully developed. After some tinkering, a new model had been deposited on Earth, but it had taken 43 Earth years for the humans to discover the second creature, <laughs> and it too had been defeated. <laughs> then it took another 29 Earth years for them to find the third, which was killed again as Earth's weapon technology seemed to develop as quickly as his own genetic sciences progressed. Part of the problem was the fact that the transdimensional portal only opened in one location on Earth, the cursed Skull Island. The scientist was sure that if he could just transport one of the beasts onto one of Earth's mainlands, his mission would be complete. His overseers were patient, but they also expected results. He was just about to return to work when an alert went off on his console. And that's my day after. Oh, very good. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, kind of like the idea of the fact that we keep getting new King Kong movies because they are they keep sending us new King Kong. Keep sending them, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, looking forward to see where that goes. Thank you, thank you. Meanwhile, let's hear what's going on in your immediate aftermath. Okay, well, Doc Savage and the Fabulous Five had found that the corpse of King Kong contained a strange radiation, something never before seen. They realized this radiation could be the reason for Kong's extreme size. Doc Savage had spoken to Carl Denham in prison and had finally got the location of Skull Island. Realizing that the island could contain other large creatures like Kong, Doc Savage had contacted some other explorers to join him and his fabulous five. Now he stood on the shore of Skull Island with his new team. Cliff Secord, Rick O'Connell, <laughs> John Carter, Lamont Cranston, Dr. Hikita, Ellen Patrick, Denny Colt, Lois Lane, Marla Drake, Elijah Snow, Indiana Jones and John Clayton. In the distance they heard a loud and human roar. Readying their weapons and equipment, they headed into the jungle. I like it. That's my immediate aftermath. Very fun. I like that you worked a lot of great uh, pulp heroes and, and other science fiction type people yes, into yes, that. Yes, yes, Thank you very much. Uh, what's going on then with yours then and this, uh, this scientist? All right. Well, the Harkalon scientist held his breath as he pushed the transport button. 
It had been three weeks since his computer had alerted him to the location of a second transdimensional portal to Earth. He'd quickly readied another Kong beast, and now he was ready to test the new portal. After a moment's hesitation, he pushed the button, and the beast instantly dematerialized. Watching the monitors for what seemed like an eternity, he let out a whoop when the image focused and showed the Kong beast rematerialize in the middle of an Earth city. He searched the data archives and discovered that it was a highly populous city on the Earth continent designated Asia called Moscow. He observed with glee as the Kong beast raged, destroying buildings and causing massive amounts of damage. The devastation was growing before a human vehicle delivered a payload of bombs that took the beast out. Hmm, the scientist thought to himself. Clearly we're going to have to send a larger number of them in the next onslaught to cause the requisite amount of damage the overseers require. He started making adjustments to his figures as he got to work on the next wave of attacks. And that's my immediate aftermath. Hmm, interesting. Moscow, King Kong in Moscow, wow. Yeah, I thought that'd be kind of cool. I just had neat yeah, visuals yeah. of like King Kong and like the snowy Moscow. You know, we've never seen yeah, like, yeah. a snowy King Kong, so. That's, yeah, that'd be good though. Seeing Kong in Red Square. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. You know, yeah. like Kong and like that classic with the Kremlin and everything. Could be fun. Yeah. Have Tom Cruise running along really fast away from him. <laughs> right, exactly. No, Tom Cruise I, would be running toward him. Come on. Yeah, true. No, he'd be running away because he's got some plan. And oh, there you explosion go. which throws right. him, but then that's... Oh, there you go. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Classic Tom. Classic Tom. All right. Well, let's hear then what's going on in your long term. I want to see how this all wraps up. Okay. Brace yourself. I'm braced. They had battled all manner of creatures of all shapes and sizes. Some of Doc's team had been injured and had headed back to the ship. Now Doc, Lamont, Indy, Ellen, Lois and Elijah found themselves witnessing a scene of true horror. In a cavern far under the ground, colossal twisted beasts, some similar to Kong but with hideous mutations, stood over a mass of horrific lizard-like beings that were in the midst of a strange ritual-type dance. Everything was lit by a sickly purplish glow that emanated from a large monolith on an altar near the back of the cavern. Near that they watched as a sickly-looking human with wild hair read from a large book. Three other humans stood near the man. Doc and the others whispered their battle plans. But just as they were about to attack, they saw one of the humans fall to the floor, then slowly stand and, shaking his head, approached the man reading the book. They watched as this new figure raised a knife and plunged it into the back of the man. Doc and the others began to move, battling through the lizard men. Nearing the altar, they heard the knife man call out, That's it for this world, Cain! as he picked up the book and threw it at the monolith. There was a blinding flash and everything was silent. Doc and the others picked themselves up from the ground. All the creatures had disappeared. Only the man with the knife remained. He was smiling as he dropped the knife. You're safe, he whispered as Doc approached. Your world is safe from the monsters, he said more forcefully. Not sure what was going on, Doc Savage looked at his friends before thanking the stranger. What's your name, he asked the man. My name's Trent, he replied. He paused and looked at the others before asking, Do you read Sutter Kane? <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. Thank you. I like how you just you took the entirety of King Kong and made it a a, a like Sutter Kane kind of story fictional story thing, you know. It's so they all disappeared. Connected. Right, everything everything's is connected. connected Mike. Nice, nice tie-in, Phil. I, Thank I, you very much. I dig it. Yeah. If you go back and listen to every single episode that I've ever done of my ending, <laughs> you'll find. <laughs> I wish that were true. No, they're not yeah, connected. Right. <laughs> That would be some really good planning on my part. Oh, yeah, yeah. Somebody's going to go back up emails and be like, I listened to all 90 hours of After the Ending, Phil, and there was episodes that did not connect. Episode 27 did not connect. But looking at it this way, maybe it did. Right, right. (laughs) But that's that's my long term. Very cool. uh, Thank thank you. But what's going on with yours? 
All right, well, it had taken a few months, but finally the Harkalon scientist had bred enough of the Kong beast to decimate the Earth and wipe a large enough population of the humans out that the Harkalon foot soldiers could come in and pacify the rest. Taking over the planet, as the Harkalons had done in so many other star systems, should be a breeze. He initiated the transfer, and a contingent of some three dozen Kong beasts were instantly transported to Earth. Two months later, the Harkalon ships arrived at Earth. While the early telemetry had shown the Kong causing havoc on Earth, a lost signal had led to some uncertainty as to how much human resistance would be left on Earth. As the Harkalon ships land and the soldiers disembark, they look around expecting something. Instead, everything is eerily quiet. Did the Kong beasts kill everyone? As the first wave of soldiers march further inland, they start to hear a rumbling noise. In moments, the source of the sound becomes evident. A massive herd of giant gorillas comes rumbling at them, roaring with rage. As the Harkalon soldiers quickly fall to the superior animals, one soldier manages to send a desperate message back to the Harkalon Empire. Earth has a new protector, and their name is Kong. Ooh, brilliant. And that's the end. Thanks. I like that. Thank you. I really, you know, I came up with the idea, but I didn't want to make King Kong or the Kong species bad guys per se. Yeah, yeah. You know, even though they were being sent for bad purposes. So I feel like, you know, when they all landed on Earth, they, they realized, you know, what was going on somehow and, and turned the tables on the bad yeah. guys. So The name is Kong. Very good. Thank you. That. Thank you very much. All right. Well, that was King Kong. Phil, I believe you are known as King Trivia. So why don't you give us some <laughs> trivia about King Kong? Okay. In uh, the 1933 film, director Marion C. Cooper's his first vision of the film was of a giant ape on top of the world's tallest building fighting airplanes. He then worked backwards from that vision to develop the rest of the story. Cool. Uh, the success of the 1933 film is credited for saving RKO pictures from bankruptcy. Uh, in the 1976 film, Peter Cullen, who was uncredited, he does the voice of Optimus Prime in the cartoons and the films, he recorded the noises and roars of, and grunts of Kong and apparently strained his vocal cords so badly he coughed up blood in the recording studio. Yeah. And in two, the 2005 film, the billboards that appear in Times Square are the same as the ones in the 1933 film. Ah, that's cool. Very very Peter Jackson-esque attention to detail there. Yes, definitely, yeah. And that's, uh, that's King Kong. Very good. All right, well, there you go. Those are our endings for King Kong and In the Mouth of Madness. And now it's time for us to move on to 100 Years of Hollywood in 100 Episodes, wherein Phil and I take a year from the past century of Hollywood and share our top 10 favorite films. And this week we are doing 1971. So, Phil, why don't you climb into your time machine and take us back to the world of 1971 and tell us what it was like. I certainly will. 1971, uh, the British Prime Minister was Edward Heath and the US President was Richard Nixon, who uh, still wasn't a crook. <laughs> and uh, that year we saw a ban on radio and TV cigarette adverts went into effect in the US. Uh, in, the B in the UK, the BBC Open University began. Uh, the Aswan High Dam officially opened in Egypt. Charles Manson and three female family members were found guilty of the 1969 Tate LeBianca murders. Apollo 14 launched on a third successful lunar landing mission. Uh, the UK and Ireland switched to a decimal currency. In Mississippi and Louisiana, 50 tornadoes raged throughout the year, killing 74 people. Evil Knievel set a world record and by jumping 19 cars. Joe Frazier defeated Muhammad Ali at Madison Square Garden. Greenpeace was founded and Walt Disney World opened in Orlando, Florida. We also had the births of Jeremy Renner, Tay Diggs, uh, Michael C. Hall, Damian Lewis, Sean Astin, Denise Richards, Johnny Knoxville, Peter Sarsgaard, John Hamm, Alan Tudyk, Nathan Fillion, Ewan McGregor, David Tennant, Adina Menzel, Noah Weil, Elon Musk, Mark Wahlberg, Craig 
Robinson, Corey Feldman, Carla Gugino, Winona Ryder, Jared Leto, Richard Armitage, and Sandra O. Oh. And and Adele Dazim, don't forget her. Yeah, Adele Dazim. I was trying to think what <laughs> how uh, Travolta pronounced the name. Right. Uh, we also had the deaths of Coco Chanel, Harold Lloyd, Igor Stravinsky, Tor Johnson, Audie Murphy, Jim Morrison, Louis Armstrong, Gene Vincent, and Edie Sedgwick. And that's 1971. All right. Very nicely done. Okay. Well, Phil, why don't you kick us off then and give us your number 10? Uh, my number 10 is George Lucas's THX 1138. One of his first uh, films, uh, a science fiction film set in a dystopian future where it's all like white and clinical. The human population are basically taking drugs all the time. So that's just all controlled. And there's these android policemen going around. Uh, I quite, first time I saw it, I'd heard about it. Uh, and obviously seen Star Wars and things like that and American Graffiti but then seeing this uh, realizing you know George Lucas can do quite a you know it was different it was it was a lot darker it was well it's a brightly lit future but it's dark because it's just mankind doesn't have any control we're just living in this this yeah we're basically all asleep in this world uh, right and then some somebody THX 1138 is a designation it's uh it's uh, Robert Duvall. He uh, basically starts waking up and realizing we're just being we're trapped and controlled, and he, he tries to get out. It's uh, it's it's just it's it's probably more interesting than enjoyable. But I I, yes. I just I found it intriguing to watch, especially after seeing Star Wars. And I quite like you can see where it's a student kind of short film blown up to a full length feature. But it does have some really great looks to it, some good scenes. Uh, the the police androids are great and uh, good good acting by. Uh, Deval, Donna Pleasance, and uh, and all the others, but uh, that's uh, my number ten. Very good. You know, I didn't I didn't dawn on me until you just mentioned that everyone was being controlled and everything is white. That it, it bears some resemblance to the current American political landscape now. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> did I say that Sing! out loud? Ouch. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, good choice. Good choice. My number ten is not quite so heady. It is Godzilla versus Hedera or as it's better known to me, at least, Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. Yeah, almost by my list, yeah. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I, I've mentioned Godzilla once or twice, usually in years where I didn't have a lot of movies to choose from. I like Godzilla. I'm not a huge Godzilla fan. But this movie holds a special place in my heart because it was the very first Godzilla movie I ever saw. I saw it on a field trip for my summer camp when I was in, like, third grade. Obviously, this was not in 1971. It was like a, you know, it was like a summer... Summer, you know how sometimes movie theaters yeah. in summers they play like family movies for the kids. Oh yeah, I cheap, know, yeah, right? Yeah. So they took us to like a double feature at the movie theaters, and one of the movies was Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, and I thought it was like the coolest thing on the planet. Uh, so that's why it makes my list because I just like I said that was my real first. I, I was familiar with Godzilla before that, but I had never actually watched a movie start to finish, uh, and I yeah, thought the Smog yeah. Monster was just so cool because it's like this big giant slimy garbage heap you know yeah so i have an affinity for it that's my number 10 no good pick i i remember they had like a season over here when i was a kid of all the godzilla movies and they were just great just watching them all right uh, but i say didn't quite make my list but my uh, my number nine is uh vanishing points which uh, has barry newman and a, a white 1970 dodge challenger racing across america to deliver this car and it's all as he as he drives, we learn more about his past. And there's a there's a blind disc jockey played by Cleveland Little. The disc jockey's called Super Soul, who's uh, listening to radio, the police radio, and reporting on him. And he becomes uh, this this guy uh, Kowalski is the character played by Brian Newman. Becomes like a folk hero, and people are going, yeah, he's going to do it. He's going to take he's going to take it to the man, and all this kind of stuff. It's it's all very late sixties kind of counterculture. You know, taking drugs, driving fast. It's a trip. Excellent choice. Thank you. Well, I got news for you, Phil. It is my number nine also. 
Oh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of those films I didn't know much about. I got, it came out on Blu-ray, I think, a few years ago. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I watched it because I had heard of it. And, uh, and I was really surprised because there's this whole thing. This is a bit of a tangent, but there's this whole thing that Axl Rose does at the end of one of the songs on Use Your Illusion 2, where he's like, the last American hero. And it's like this big dialogue thing. I never knew what it was from. And then I'm oh, watching yeah, Vanishing yeah. Point, and lo and behold, it's right out of that movie. It's one of those moments, if you ever had that, where something clicks into place that you never knew you didn't yeah. know. And then all of a sudden you're like, yeah. whoa, that's a cool connection. And so that's just a neat little moment. That's not why I like the film. I think it's a fun film. And like you said, it's a cool, I like car chase movies and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, that's just the moment that really sticks out from that film for me. So that's my number nine. Oh, excellent. No, no I, don't, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. You, you've heard something over and over, then suddenly you realize right. the context right. of it and things. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. I didn't think we'd have something similar this early on. Yeah, who knew? Yeah. Uh, okay, my number eight uh, is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gene Wilder, who's brilliant as Willy Wonka. Uh, enjoyable, scary, creepy, uh, weird. Uh, I really like it. It probably would have been higher a few years back. It's just I've seen it so many times now. Yeah. And you know when it's sort of the, the weariness starts setting in. Right, right. But I think I think it's because it almost didn't make my list, but because it's because of Gene Wilder. He's so good at it. It. Uh, it's there as my number eight. Very good. You know, uh, a spoiler alert, didn't make my list, and I'll tell you why. I watched this movie as a kid, and I enjoyed it like most kids do. Yeah. Then I watched it as an adult, and boy, I don't think I could have hated it any more than I did. <laughs> I really don't like this movie at all. Like, it, it's it's one of those films that everyone loves, and I, I challenge people to watch it again as a grown-up and, and find out if you really do like it or not. Obviously, you do, and that's okay, but yeah. I, I think it's terrible. I really don't like it. I know people right now are all recoiling in horror, like, what? How can you not like Willy Wonka? But... Man, I'm telling you, it is just like a no, big no, acid I, trip, and I, I do not enjoy it. I know where you're coming from. It is mainly Gene Wilder now, which sort of gets you through it. Right, He's and he's great, you know, but I just, yeah. I really don't like that movie. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a, it's a, I think, uh, I think there's probably more people than you think out there. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. All right, well, my number eight has already appeared on your list. We weren't too far apart on it. It is THX 1138. Oh, brilliant. Uh, like you said. Yep, George Lucas's first film, same reason as you. I went back to it because I was a Star Wars fan. I wanted to see it. Um, it is good. It does have some neat visuals and some really cool moments. But like you said, it's a bit slow. It is a it is kind of a slow yeah. film. It gets boring in places, um, and it's just not as exciting as it could be. So that's why it's not higher on the list. But I do appreciate it. I like it, and I, obviously I'm thankful it gave George Lucas enough filmmaking experience to then eventually make Star Wars. So that's my number eight. Excellent. Uh, good to note on your list as well. Yep. Uh, okay, my number seven is The Andromeda Strain, sci-fi film. Uh, it's based on a Michael Crichton novel. And has special effects by Douglas Trumbull, but it's Michael Crichton. Uh, so this one involves uh, an alien organism, which comes down, and they look at it in a lab. And because it's Michael Crichton, you'll never guess what it gets out. <laughs> what? Honest to God, no. Yeah, I mean Westworld, Jurassic Park, and all the other ones where some tech- some new technology is used, and it gets out. Yeah, oh, that's crazy. But I really like this because it's all done. It's basically following a team of scientists trying to work out the re- what this thing is, which has killed a township, uh, a small town nearby. And it's, it's following the whole process, the scientific process as it goes on. So it's so tense and intriguing and they work out different things. And then uh, it's 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 got a great set and the effects are really good. And then when things do start going a bit crazy, going, oh my God, what, what's going to happen? And it's it's just just some scientists. And it's not, there's, no, there's like a little action set piece, which isn't really that action packed, but it's just these ordinary people well, these ordinary, very clever people uh, trying to work out what this thing is. And it's just, I, I love the whole journey of following them and, you know, following, trying to figure out the mystery of the Andromeda strain. Right. 
So this one was on my short list, and then I came down to the fact that I really could not remember if I'd actually seen it or not. It's one of those ones that really I was just on yeah, the edge of my yeah. memory, and it's between reading the book, which I've done, and they did a remake of it a few years back, which I've seen, and then seeing bits and pieces of this one on TV, I was like, I wanted to put it on there, but I just couldn't 100% remember that I'd seen it from start to finish. Yeah. So I, I left it off, but I do, cool. I do think I like it. I just don't know for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, my number seven, though, is Straw Dogs, uh, filmed by Sam Peckinpah, starring Dustin Hoffman. Kind of an earlier sort of revenge thriller. Not revenge, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Home invasion sort of somewhat revenge thriller. It's a dark yeah, film, yeah. Um, but it's got some really tense moments, some really you know dark scenes. Um, it's not a favorite, favorite film of mine because it is so dark. It's, it's kind of like a deliverance type of movie where like you watch it and it's really good, but you don't necessarily need to watch it over yeah, and over again yeah. uh, but i do like it so it made it on there at number seven excellent i'm glad it made yours because i uh, like you with uh, the andromeda strain i'm sure i've seen it but i can't remember whether i've seen it all the way through right and just one of those ones so i didn't want to put it on my list for that reason fair enough glad it made yours okay so my we're up to now my number six is uh it's a british horror or comedy horror film it's the abominable dr fibes starring vincent price mm-hmm. and lots of uh Lots of people famous at the time. And we basically follow uh, Dr. Fibes, who blames his his wife died in an accident, and he blames the medical team that looked after her for her death. And so he uh, he, he comes back. They thought he was dead. And he uh, he kills them one by one by using the uh, the ten plagues of Egypt from the Old Testament. And it's, uh, yeah, it's good. It's really good. He's, uh, Fives was is horribly scarred and unable to speak. So it's he looks really cool, well, monstrous and cool. But then we... It's, uh, it's and it's got Vincent. He gets he just when you see him as Vincent Price, you know, properly. He just it's Vincent Price being cool, killing people in bizarre ways. Right, very cool. I have not actually seen it. I'm familiar with it, but I've never gotten around to watching it. So, yeah, it's one of those ones usually late at night where you're going, oh, what's this? And if you you turn on part way through, you're going, oh, I'm not right. sure what's going on. Right, right, right. All right, cool. All right, well, my number six is Play Misty for Me, uh, starring and directed by Clint Eastwood and also Jessica Walter, who is now best known for her role on uh, Arrested Development. But uh, this is a great film, actually. It was it was Clint Eastwood's directorial debut, and it is a thriller about a radio DJ who's, you know, he might get around a little bit with the ladies, and he uh, kind of meets this stalkery lady who starts to you know, not let him... Not let him go, not let him break things off, and things escalate and get worse and worse from there. And it's a, it's a really fun, I mean, fun film. Fun is a strange word. It's a dark film. But it's kind <laughs> of like a, you know, a proto-fatal attraction type of movie. Kind of laid the groundwork yeah, yeah. for those types of thrillers. And, you know, Clint Eastwood is great in it, and uh, he directs it very well. And um, it's just kind of a, it, you know, it sort of starts off, you know, simple and gets more and more intense and more and more, you know, disturbing as it goes. It's not too dark, though. Um, but I like it. I like it a lot. It's a good film. It's kind of a, a famous you know, thriller. It did quite well back in the day. So that's my number six. An excellent choice. I like it. Uh, my number five actually involves Clint Eastwood. It's a double whammy. It is Play Misty for Me. All right. And also Dirty Harry. Ah, very good. But there's exactly what you said about Play Misty for Me. It was a, it was a change of pace as well. I mean, good that he was, he was directing it, but it was a different kind of role for him. Right. You know, he's, he's usually this guy who can get through anything, but then he's just, he's out of his depth in, in Play Misty for Me. Uh, but then Dirty Harry, you know, iconic. He's Harry Callahan taking down, uh, taking up bad guys, and it's it's just great. The first one of the Dirty Harry films, and probably, I think, I think it's my favorite out of them all. Yeah, uh, it's just it's a good story, good bad guy, and Clint Eastwood being so cool. Yeah, he really is. Even though you know when you look at what he's, he's wearing, like a blazer and slacks, 
but he's so cool. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, but they're my number five. Very good. That was a good year for Clint Eastwood when you think about it. I mean, those are both big. I mean, obviously Dirty Harry. I mean, they, there was five films in the franchise. Yeah, that was a yeah. huge hit. And Play Misty for me was also a pretty successful film, you know? Yeah, not bad at all, Mr. Eastwood. Yeah, good year to be Clint. My number five is Duel, directed by Steven Spielberg, uh, which we went after the ending of God, way back in what I think our first five episodes. Episode so. number five. Number five. There you go. Uh, now a little bit of a cheat here because technically this was a TV movie, um, but I think it's it's one of those weird TV movies that has sort of transcended being a TV movie, and it's mostly just considered a film now by most people. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. It shows yeah. up in like the Steven Spielberg collections and stuff like that. So even though it wasn't a theatrical release, although I think it was actually theatrical in Europe. Uh, yeah, I think overseas. It, yeah, I think it was shown. So, it, so it counts. But um, it's a great thriller. Uh, you know, it's just a simple movie starring Dennis Weaver about a guy who pisses off the wrong truck driver, and the truck driver sort of chases him all around. It's sort of a prototype for a lot of thrillers that would follow. Um, and a really enjoyable, tense thriller that, uh, you know, kind of laid the groundwork for Spielberg's career, uh, you know, and certainly led to, you know, I'm sure him getting Jaws just a few years later. So uh, great film. Definitely worth tracking down if you haven't seen it. Yes, yes. An excellent uh, pick and it might we might be hearing from it again i had a feeling we might a little later on so my number four is uh the omega man charlton heston and it's based on i am legend by richard matheson a great book and uh, it's it's charlton heston he's last man on earth or is he he's wandering around this the city streets in los angeles uh because he's the only one immune to this this disease which wiped out humanity apart from a, f- a few people who basically come out at night sort of like vampires but he's trying to work out a cure and he meets a few people and tries to save them and we follow him doing that i just i've always liked this one i've always liked the whole idea of that and it's just charlton heston uh, the opening scene with him just driving around the city and stopping and taking out like a high-powered rifle and shooting some of these mutated humans it's great uh and it's uh, my number four we also did we had I Am Legend, the Will Smith one, based on the same story, back in episode 68, if you want to hear what we thought happened after that. But uh, the, uh, the Omega Man is uh, my number four. Very good choice. Now, I watched this movie when I was young, and I, I have indelible memories of it, and there are scenes of it that are like just for some reason still imprinted on my brain, but it didn't make my list because I've never seen the second half of it. Yeah, yeah. I I went a long time only seeing the first part of it for some reason. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I saw the first half of it and somehow I never ended up finishing it. And and all these years later, as much as I loved it, I've always meant to go back and finish it and I've just never gotten around to it. So That's weird because the first few times I'd only ever seen like the first half hour, 40 minutes. I wonder why that is. I don't know. But that's why I couldn't put it on my list because I I haven't seen the whole thing and I I didn't want to cheat. So... So probably would be on my list if I'd seen it all because I did really enjoy what I've seen of it. But there you go. Cool. Okay. All right. Well, my number four is The French Connection, starring Gene Hackman, directed by William Friedkin uh, and featuring one of the greatest car chases of all time. Um, And this is a, you know, it's a a pretty great kind of cop thriller action movie um, but if I'm being honest, I don't love it as much as some people do. It's it's definitely one of those films where your main character is kind of an unlikable main character. Popeye Doyle yeah, yeah. is definitely not a good guy. Um, and so I really, I'm obviously I like the film enough for it to be my number four. It's a great film, but it's not one of my like all time favorites, which is why it didn't rank higher on the list. Uh, so, but still a great movie. Looks great, and and that car scene, that car chase scene is amazing. So. That's my number four. Excellent choice. Uh, my number three is uh, it's a James Bond film. I know it's, the one of which you speak. Yes, it's Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, Sean Connery going up against uh, Blofeld. Uh, Mr. Winter, Mr. Kidder are in it as well. And we've got, what's the name? Plenty O'Toole. Yep. Is one of the Bond girls. 
this is this is a pretty damn fine James Bond film. A little bit camper than some of them. Yeah. Uh, but uh, lots of fun. It goes to lots of different places. Loads of great iconic scenes. Uh, Blofeld trying to build a space-based laser weapon. Yeah, just loads of great bits. Loads of really good characters. Just lots, lots and lots of fun. Indeed, it I really, is. I really, I really, I really like that this one. Because not not every Bond film does it for me, but this one is. Whenever it's on, I really enjoy watching it. Very good. Well, it's not on my list. No, I'm just kidding. It's <laughs> James Bond. Of course, it's going to be on my list. I just haven't I haven't revealed where yet. <laughs> That's not number three, though, because my number three is Ooh. Dirty Harry. Excellent. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, it's the classic. I mean, you know, ask yourself one question. Do you feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? I mean, come on. That's classic, classic Hollywood right there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a great film. It's a good, you know, it's it's... It's a cool action thriller, and the main character, while he's a good guy, is certainly, uh, I would say, an early version of an anti-hero. You know, yes, he's yeah, a cop, yeah. but he does not play by the rules. He's not afraid to break the rules and, you know, get dirty when he needs to. So uh, Clint Eastwood is terrific in it, and obviously it was a role that would define his career for, you know, a decade or more. So, uh, yeah, what's not to like? Dirty Harry, my number three. Excellent. Uh, my number two is, uh, you've already mentioned it, but it's Jewel. Steven Spielberg's film also written this one was written by Richard Matheson who also wrote I Am Legend oh right so right, that's yeah. a nice little thing yep. uh, as, as you mentioned before it's uh, we both we both like this film it's just great it's, it is it is basically you know just, just a guy being chased down by a truck right right but it's it's so tense it's amazing how much how much tension Spielberg gets out of it and the performance by Dennis Weaver it's just the man losing it because there's a guy in a truck trying to run him off the road and nobody believes him right it's just it's and the fact he managed to make it last uh, for like a full feature, yeah, it's just amazing because it's, it's it's like a Twilight Zone episode basically, but it's just it makes it, it last and you, it doesn't run out of steam. It just it just keeps cranking up the tension all the way through. Yes, yes, indeed, a great film. Indeed, it is good choice. All right, well, my number two has appeared on your list. We just mentioned it actually. It is Diamonds Are Forever. Um, now I had a lot of going back and forth between my number one and number two. So you know, on a different day, this could have easily been my number one. The only reason I made it my number two is because. If I'm being honest, it's been a long time since I've seen this particular James Bond film. Yeah. So I, I couldn't quite remember where it falls in my hierarchy of Bond films. So I put it at number two. But I do love it. It's, it's you know, Sean Connery's great. It's his last film as James Bond. Uh, but, well, if you don't count, never say never again. But let's we don't count that. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a lot of fun. It's got some great scenes. And uh, that's my number two. All right, Phil. Well, let's don't keep us in suspense. What is your number one film of the year? Well, my number one, it's also been on your list. It is The French Connection. Ah, okay, yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah, Gene Hack, as you said, I, I agree with everything you said, uh, but uh, I, I like it just a little bit more than you. That's but, fair, uh, yeah. Gene Hackman, just as you said, he was Popeye Doyle, isn't a very nice person, but he gets the job done. It's also got Roy Scheider in it. Yeah, but great dialogue, some gr- gritty street scenes. You're just there on the streets, on the dirty streets of New York, back when it was dirty like that. Uh, it's got that great car chase scene, as you mentioned, but he's not actually chasing the car; he's chasing the guy on a train, which. When I finally saw it, I was going, oh, my God. Right. That's just not what I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It works so well. Exactly. And it's my number one. Very good choice. All right. Well, my number one isn't going to be a big surprise, although I'm sure some people will question me putting it at number one. But it is Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Oh, of course. Yeah. I saw, I, yes. yes <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that will probably be in your top three. Yeah. For now, for context, it's my second favorite Planet of the Apes film. It is the third film in the original series. And what I like about it so much is it kind of resets the series, but it's kind of very Twilight zone in a way. So what happens is to start the film is that uh, Zira and Cornelius 
leave the Planet of the Apes. They escape before it gets destroyed at the end of the second one, or at least before the newt goes off at the end of the second one. And they go through the, basically the same time warp that Taylor went through and ends up in present-day Earth, or at least 1971 present-day Earth. And so they cause this huge kind of media sensation with these talking apes. And of course, the government is kind of out to get them. And there's people who think they should be killed and should be caged. And there's conspiracies and all this stuff. And so bad things sort of happen. But then it has this really great ending, which sort of sets up the whole series from there. And I really love it. I, I love the idea of, you know, the, 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 the characters from the Planet of the Apes movies that we know and love coming back to modern day Earth. Yeah. It's a really fun film that I like, but I also like how much it has this sort of effect on the rest of the series. That's a, it's a, it is a great pick because it is, it is a good film. Yeah. I remember, remember seeing it because you'd seen the first two, all this far future and everything. And then suddenly I thought it was a great idea bringing it back. It was a, it was one of those rare times when they do a, a sequel, a new film where they're just not following, right. you know, what's gone before. Right. So it was a nice change. And the fact we were focused on, more on the apes this time as well, which is good. Yeah, because the first two are all about the human struggle, and this yeah. time it's about the apes struggling on the human world, you know, which I, yeah. I really like that. Well, good good choice. Thank Excellent. you, thank you. All right, well, that is 1971, and that's going to start to wrap up our episode. But before we go, Phil, why don't you tell people what we have in store for them next week? Yeah, so next time we're going to be going after the ending of Role Models and Race to Witch Mountain, and be looking at our top 10 favorite films of 2007. There you go. All right. I got some uh, some good stuff coming up there. And then actually that's going to also sort of kick off our countdown to episode 100. We've got a lot of big things planned for the next uh, nine or ten episodes. So come back next week, find out what all that is, and uh, we will dazzle you with, hopefully with some endings as well. But for now, that's going to do us. So as always, we thank you greatly for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. Uh, yeah, people online going on my Facebook going, this is agony. Oh, my God, what's going on? <laughs> Somebody sure uh, had to break up the shortbread. It just got real. <laughs> well, I don't get that, though. What, what shortbread? Oh, shortbread's just a biscuit. Like a biscuit. Why do you have to break that out, though? Because it's I, I think because he's, he's, he sat in his living room uh, with a cup of tea. Oh. I'm a, I'm a British. Yes, I know. You Brits sometimes and your, your customs are so... It's getting exciting, so we need a cup of tea and a biscuit. <laughs> That's Calm what I mean. I'm like... It's getting so exciting. I, I need a dry, crumbly bread product and, yeah. and some tea, which is generally considered a relaxing drink. I'm just putting the beer down. I'm making a cup of tea. Right. It's getting exactly. exactly. Like here in America, it'd be like, oh, it's getting exciting. Let's do shots. And you guys are all like, let's have a biscuit and a cuppa. They actually have three John Carpenter titles coming out. They have yeah, just Madness, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man and Prince of Darkness, I think. Yeah. I know if so. someone's watching me. What's, what the hell someone's watching me? What? It says someone's watching me. What, you, what says that? It's it's on the side. It's called. It says three John Carpenter films, Memoirs of an Invisible oh, Man. Oh, I thought you were doing like a bit, like someone's watching me, as if it was like because you were like. Oh no character. no that's no, no I wish I had actually no. no. <laughs> all the films looking on the list all depressing. Hey, let's do after the endings for an inconvenient truth, and it'll just be that the Earth gets melted and you know we all die. <laughs> 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 and we'll see you next week after the ending. All right. Do you read Sutter Kane? <laughs> ah, no, it's driving me mad. <laughs> I can't help it, Mike. I'm going to read the first page. <laughs> Don't oh my do God. it, Phil. Don't do it. Oh, my God. Don't do it. He uh, made it, it doesn't matter, Phil. None of it matters because you're not a real person anyway. You're just a fictional <gasps> character. I made you up. I've never even had a co-host. But actually, actually, I made you up, Mike. I'm writing you now. Oh, damn it. But if I made you up and you made me up, then who made us both up? Oh my God! Dun, dun, Inception. Dun. <laughs> wow. Inception, the mouth of madness. 
Oh, well, that's terrible. I know. Christopher <laughs> Nolan ruins everything. <laughs> I don't know. I, I ruined that bit, but yeah, I guess we can give Christopher Nolan a little it's bit. It's Christopher of, Nolan's yeah. fault. He incepted that in you. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> if and doubt, blame Christopher Nolan. You can blame Christopher Nolan. I'll blame Ridley Scott. He had nothing to do with this, but I'm going to blame him anyway. That, that's, a, that's another t shirt we should do. If and doubt, blame Christopher that, Nolan. Yeah, right. Exactly. I have to do a Ridley Scott one. Ridley Scott makes crap films. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be a big seller. People think we're being ironic. I, with my luck, I'd be wearing it, and I finally meet, I meet yeah. Ridley Scott, and I'd be wearing that shirt. You just go, we're being ironic, but down on the back it says, no, really, he does. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs>